Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. All right. Well, um, we are very, very blessed and excited today to have uh, Bobby Carpenter with us. Uh, he'll share some of his college story at NFL and and most importantly, his faith journey. Uh, first service was very powerful. I know it spoke to myself and to all our audience, and I know in particular to our young folks who are in here just to hear what it's like to, to live that life, but then also to how the Lord intersected into that. And so uh, at this time, would you invite and give a big Valley Church welcome to Bobby Carpenter, please. This is the rowdy crowd, Bob. You know, they're wide awake. They had a lot of coffee this morning, so I can, you know. Well, um, thanks for coming. Great to have you with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. This is the, you know, the late, you know, it's a later service, so these are the folks that stay out late and probably party a little more on Saturday night, right? Yeah, this is, this is your rowdy crowd, okay? So, man, you know, we just got to watch them a little bit. But um, So share a little bit about... Um, you know, where do you live? A little bit of your story. Um, you know, how'd you get involved in football? And if anyone's done any, knows him at all, you know, uh, there was uh, something kind of in his life and <laughs> uh, your family and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, going back, you know, the whole story here, uh, it was, it's great to be in, in Troy. I start, I say this, you know, my dad played in the NFL for 10 years, played at Miami, Ohio, and one of his best friends uh, in life there was Randy Walker, who was uh, a Troy native who passed away, unfortunately. Um, you know, all, all too early, but you know, football has been a big part of my life for a long time. You know, a little background information, you know, I'm from Lancaster, Ohio. Both of my parents are from there. Uh, my mom's one of seven, my dad's one of five, like very blue-collar, working-class families. Never really, sports were, were kind of big, but neither, none of their, my grandparents ever played sports really in school and any structured, you know, high level. And you know, that was kind of my dad's Ability, he's like, uh, if I was going to get to college somehow, it was going to be through football. And so you know, he kind of grew that way and um, ended up going to Miami, Ohio. And then when he got done playing in the NFL, moved back to Lancaster and, and coached at New Lex for four years and then in Lancaster for another 27, I believe. So it's been a long time. He just retired. And you know, he didn't let me play football until I was 13 years old. I have three brothers. I'm the oldest. He let them play when they were in sixth. He wouldn't let me play until I was in seventh grade. And so that was like, yeah, I mean, that was this whole deal. And so people always ask me that now, especially with, you know, safety and all these other things. You know, when, when should I start my kid playing football? I'm like, well, my kids play. I let my son start playing in fourth, and we'll figure out, you know, my other – I got to get into my family a little bit here in a minute. But, you know, I'm like, it's, it's the right time is the right time for you. And so he didn't let me play until I was 13. And I played basketball, I swam, played a lot of soccer and stuff growing up, and just being active, playing sports. Um, and I was probably, he was my coach in seventh grade. He coached at junior high for two years before he got the head job at Lancaster. And, uh, and I was probably the worst seventh grade football player you could imagine. I was not good. Uh, it was a very humbling experience for me because I'd been pretty talented, a lot of other stuff, but I was skinny. You know, I really was, I didn't develop really early. And so their kids, you know, had you know, beers in junior high, and that was not me by any stretch. So got beat around. And I, I've talked to my dad a little bit about this, just 
navigating, like coaching your kids, because I'll coach my, my kids in some of their sports, and, you know, how, how do you, handling when, it's like, I wasn't good at all, so, like, trying to handle that, and, you know, coaching your kids, and the difficulties, as anybody in here who would, has done that can probably attest to, but understanding, like, it's an important part of, you know, their, their growth in life, and the competitive element, and getting them outside, so, getting a chance to do that, so I started playing when I was 13 years old, you go through, ultimately, You'll play at, uh, at Ohio State in the NFL. But uh, a little more, I mean, I'm, I'm married. I have four kids, my lovely wife, Courtney. My oldest son, RJ, is sitting over there. He's 12. He's in sixth. We've got an 11-year-old girl, 8-year-old boy, and a 5-year-old uh, a boy as well. And so football has been such a, a huge part of my life. And, you know, I know that there's, there's a lot of things that have been associated with it now and obviously head trauma and different things. But I think that there's a lot of things you can learn in sports, and especially for young men. You know, that you can learn in the principles of teamwork, sacrifice, selflessness, you know, toughness, all these characteristics that have helped sculpt men for generations. And really, the military did that for a long time. And, you know, really, the only two areas left that that kind of happens is in the military and, and in football, where it can kind of, and in sports, can, can do those things and develop that. And, you know, we're, we're in a society now where we, we need young men to be, you know, is strong and, and is vocal and is passionate leaders in the right type of men as possible. And I think that that's one of the elements to be able to do that. And, you know, so coaching youth sports and being involved in that, you know, is critical in my life and it, and it helped kind of shape me into, into who I am and all the experiences and everything that I have, I can attribute to that. So I'm a, I'm a very, I'm a huge proponent of getting kids involved in something early on and getting them going there. So, so that's a long meandering answer to a quick question. So, yeah, I grew up. Your dad played in the NFL. We'll talk off the record. I just want to know what it's like to play for Bill Parcells, you know, because your dad did and that. But um, so you had a, had a chance to, to play at the collegiate level, obviously recruited by numerous schools. You know, so the question is, what made you choose Ohio State? And you end up there, uh, and the, as a freshman, you play on a pretty decent team that I don't think – decided to lose any games that year. So. Yeah. And it worked out pretty well. And you know, so uh, growing up, my dad you know, played in Miami, Ohio. My mom went to Ohio State. But I wouldn't say that we were like the biggest Ohio State passionate house you're going to find. We watched them. But my dad had a lot of friends who were into coaching. You know, Randy Walker was at Miami. He was at Northwestern then. And you know, a lot of other guys from some of their teams and guys he played with in the NFL who were coaching in college. And so we kind of watched everyone. And I liked Ohio State, but it wasn't like there was this overwhelming pressure that I was getting from home to attend there. And so we took a lot of visits, went around, and I tried to look at this objectively and make the best decision that I ultimately could. So my dad and I, we sat down and looked at a bunch of different criteria from you know, academics, head coach, position coach, location, uh, you know, offerings at the school, a chance to play early, all, all these different things. I don't know. It was probably like 10, 12, 14 different criteria. And so I ended up taking my final four visits to Northwestern, Ohio State, North Carolina, and Michigan State. And they all had something, you know, different to offer. And so we go through there, and my dad fills out, and he's like, well, rank each one of them on these criteria, one to four, of how they fit it. So I do that. And I'm going through trying to figure it out, and there's pros and cons to each one. And I get done with it. I'm, like, trying to add it up as I'm going, like, trying to see, but not really. And so as soon as I get done, my dad snatches the paper away from me. And 
and he looks at me, he's like, where do you want to go? And I'm like, well, I thought that was the purpose of the test, like, of the test. Like, fill this out. It's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. Well, what are you good at? Okay, let's figure this out. And then they spit out, hey, you should do this. These are things you like, and this is where you're good at. That's where that intersection happens. And ultimately, that is how it kind of works. So he pulls it away, and he's like, hey, where, where do you want to go? And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, just I don't care. Forget about the test for a minute. Where do you want to go? Like, ah, you know, it's tough. I, mean, I, I was avoiding the decision. I waited till a week before signing day, not because I wanted to make a big deal about it, but because I, I literally just was afraid to make the wrong choice. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, I don't know. I was 18. Well, make a choice for the rest of your life. Don't make the wrong one. And that's kind of how I felt. I was just paralyzed by the, the fear of, like, do I choose the wrong school? What could ultimately happen? And wrong school meaning football, academics, all of these different things. And it's like went through it in my head and kind of, well, oh, you know, I want to be close to home. And there was a big part of that. And not, not because I was homesick, but I had three younger brothers who I wanted to be able to watch their games and be involved with. I wanted my parents to be able to come and watch my games. And, you know, I talked to Stanford and some other schools, my dad, and even Penn State, to tell you the truth. And we went over there. We drove to Happy Valley. And, you know, my dad looked at me. He's like, listen, this is a great place. We talked to Joe Pa and everything. And he's like, I, we can probably only go to maybe one or two games a year here. We'll go to the Columbus game. He's like, but it's, it's seven hours. He's like, I got that coach, your brothers. He's like, so just he goes, don't do it for us, but just be cognizant of what you, your expectations where some parents, they, they, you know, Raven, it's great. They're like, we never missed any of our kids' games at Ohio State. And my parents, they never missed, they never missed a game that they actually could attend. Like, I had three of brothers who played, too. And so I'm like, ah, you know, probably Ohio State. He's like, all right. And he had added it up. He's like, good. The answer, the sheet said Ohio State. And I fast forward a couple years because I, I told this story to some, you know, at another group, and someone goes, well, what would they have, did he tell you what his plan was if, if it wasn't Ohio State that you would have said? I'm like, or it wasn't, they didn't align? I'm like, no. And I asked him, he's like, well, I thought it was going to be Ohio State. And when I saw it was that on the sheet, I knew I was probably pretty good. But I didn't really think through it that far to figure out the ending of it. Uh, and so, I, you know, I end up there. And it was great. You know, we had a great recruiting class. You know, uh, Quinn Pitcock, who's from Piqua, was part of it. Um, awesome dude. You know, A.J. Hawk, Centerville native, Mick Mangold, a lot of people from, you know, the 937 area here, and became great friends. And I, and I met my wife there, you know, everything, you know, the, the relationships and the connections and all the stuff that has been good for me in my life has really been the fruit of that decision to attend Ohio State. And so, you know, freshman year we get there, and it's awful. It's hard. And anybody that's played college athletics, it's hard. Your freshman year in football, my dad told me this. He's like, you're going to want to transfer every day. He's like, you're going to want to quit all the time. He goes, you want to quit? And I'm about a week into training camp. I call him. like, this is awful. Like, I, I may not be for me. He's like, all right, well, here's the good news. He goes, I'll give you, you get two weeks on the couch, and then you're out. So like, I went to Miami, Ohio. He's like, I didn't have a second best option. So I didn't have any other job. He's like, I'm coming back to work at the glass plant in Anchor Hockey in Lancaster. He's like, I couldn't have a family business or any of this. He's like, I'm not giving you an out to quit just because it's hard. So push through all that, grind through the season, still not playing. It's whatever. I'm talking to him. It sucks. This is awful. Stinks. I'm not in a good frame of mind. Like he's counseling me every week. 
that I have great friends. We're winning games. Like, that's the thing. We're winning a lot of games, but you want to play. You go from being the star in high school, everybody that goes to play at these big-time schools, they were the star. And then you're not playing, and it's hard, and the coaches are yelling at you. you got class. you got all this stuff. You're getting pulled in a million different directions. And I'm having a conversation one day. He's like, listen, you're playing. You're playing like 10 to 15 plays. Like, they've got A.J. He's playing, too, at linebacker. We're playing a couple other freshmen on defense. He's like, you're like – Top 10 in the country, like fifth in the country right now. You're winning games, not by a lot either, if any of you remember that season. Our offense wasn't anything to write home about. He's like, so defensively, you have to be really good. He's like, they're not going to put you and AJ out there, or Nate Sally. Like, they're going to play you guys some. But the last thing they, the seniors want to look around is like, we got three or four freshmen on the field, and one of you guys screw something up and cost them the game. He's like, they're going to be yelling at the coaches. Why did you put him in there? He, he, he didn't deserve it. He shouldn't have been in. He's like, so just understand it. We go through the season, and it helps a little more when you're winning and win a national championship, and it's all well and good. But it was a tough, trying season. And then as things progress, you know, it gets a little better, and things you know, begin to work out and work out better for us. But it's hard. It is hard. And he told me that, and he prepared me for it. Um, but it was, uh, it was a fun year that first year. Probably the third best team I was on while I was at Ohio State. You need some luck. I thought we were going to win a national championship every year. I'm like, man, it's going to be easy. And uh, you don't get some of the breaks. You don't get some of the bounces. And, you know, ironically, I look back at my tenure at Ohio State now, and I remember a lot more about the losses that we had. One bad one to Penn State in 05 over there, by the way. Um, but those are the games that I vividly remember. And that's probably one of the, the, the worst parts of the human condition is we tend to remember our fails a lot more than our greatest successes. Yeah. You end up having a great college career. And sp before I ask him the next question, by the way, if we have time at the end, uh, we're going to take some of your questions. And so be thinking, if you have any questions you'd like to ask, um, we want to try to give you a few moments to do that. So you have a great college career, um, ends up so strong that you end up being a first-round pick in the NFL or the Cowboys. There are some Cowboys fans here today, so, uh, so they'll probably want to say hi to you. Uh, Share a little bit, so just for time's sake and that, a couple cool things in the NFL. You ended up playing for a handful of different teams, and, and Detroit Lions were one, and the, the quarterback of the Detroit Lions is a guy who uh, probably a lot of these people are not going to be hoping has a good game tonight. Matthew Stafford was the quarterback of the Lions when you were there. And then also uh, when you were at the Cowboys, Tony Romo, uh, quarterback. Now, a lot of the younger folks think he's just a guy who talks a lot on TV. Uh, <laughs> but he actually was a pretty good quarterback in the day, is one of your best friends. And so maybe hit on a couple of those relationships or a little bit about the NFL experience. Yeah, so uh, you know, started getting drafted to Dallas. Tony, you know, good, good friend of mine. You go to Detroit, Stafford, great dude. And him and Kelly are phenomenal people. And like, I encourage anybody uh, to kind of look through their story and kind of understand it. And, you know, she had brain cancer. They have four beautiful girls. And... Uh, you know, Matt's, Matt's a great, great guy. I was part of our Bible studies up in Detroit. Good, good man, good husband. And so I, you know, I see them, they win. I wanted them to win a couple of weeks ago. You know, I wanted Cincinnati to win with Joe. <clears throat> my brother played, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, my brother played at uh, Ohio University, Joe's dad. Uh, Jim was his D coordinator there. And his uh, position coach as well. So I've known Joe since he was in high school and got to watch him grow through Ohio State and then ultimately leaving and go to LSU and everything. And so, you know, I, I wanted both of those guys to win. I'm like, I didn't think they both would. And then they ultimately get there, and I'm like, well, at least one guy I know is going to be win. I'm like, so I'm going to be happy and sad for one of them on the same day. And so it's, it's the tough part about sports. But, um, 
Matt's a great guy. Like his his wife's battle with cancer and brain too. Like it's it's insane, um, with everything that they dealt with. And then Tony as well, like a good friend in Dallas. And he was, uh, we were in my wife and I were both in his wedding uh, with Candace. He spoke in ours. And a uh, you know, quick story, you know, I, I enjoy telling. Like, Tony's a great guy, and you know he's a great talker, as anybody now knows. You know, listen, he was a good friend. We met him when he was the backup quarterback. Nothing special there, and. You know, one of the things that he t- actually touched on when he was speaking at our wedding was, you know, there's a lot of temptations in the NFL. We'll get into some of this, you know, my story and testament. Um, but, you know, one of the things that he always, like, you and Courtney, my wife, were always together. And whenever we were doing something, you know, she was always involved and always coming. And that helps you, obviously, you know, build a stronger relationship and keep you as a man uh, and on a straight and narrow as much as you possibly can be. Um, but he goes up and he, we, we had a number of speakers, you know, for our wedding and a lot of Bible verses. And one of, uh, my wife wanted to have, and I can't even remember the song now. It's crazy. It's been 14 years in March that we've been married. And there was a couple uh, verses from a George Strait song, I think. And I emailed it to Tony beforehand. He's like, hey, it's good. I'll be there. We'll be great to go. And he's like, hey, I got something come up. He doesn't go, doesn't come to the rehearsal dinner. My wife's super laid back. She's like, yeah, it's fine. He's like, hey, I'm going to be coming in pretty hot close to the time of the wedding and by that he showed up like while we were already on the altar and my pastor's like hey is he gonna be here like like yeah so he was like one of the last speakers and so he gets there and he's like motioning up to me as we're up there and it's like the paper and I'm like I sent it to you man like it's my wedding day like I don't have it and he's like oh and I see him in the back like frantically scrolling it's like the iPhone one this is 2008 and it's like oh and he Courtney's like, she's like looking at me, and I'm like, there's no way he's finding this. Walks up, and he looks over, like winks at me, and I'm like, this is going to be interesting. And he basically gives like a full-on wedding toast during the ceremony. My pastor's looking over like, what is this? Like, it's, and then, but it was great, and you know, he weaves in spiritual elements to it. And then when he gets done, he's like, I didn't know how to wrap it up because he's like, it's not like raise your glass. We're all sitting here in service. And he's like, thanks. And people are like, it's a great speech. But they're like, we didn't know whether to clap or like how you end that up as well. Uh, but it, that's, I mean, that's Tony. I and mean, he's always been like that. And he's been a great friend and uh, another good good man and another uh, faith-based man as well. And so as one of the things we go through this that I'll keep talking about is trying to surround yourself with good people and good other good men and good human beings to help the company you keep is going to help influence you in a, a lot in life. And you don't really realize that until you're older, but um, surrounding yourself with uh, high quality individuals is something that I think is very important. So let's make that transition now into the faith. Um, share a little bit about your faith journey. What did that look like growing up? Where did church fit into that? And then as you, you know, just into college years and, and into the NFL and now into life now, uh, your journey with Christ and, and how that's all kind of shaped. We have a lot of young people here, uh, a lot of young people watching too, of, of how did that faith foundation play such a pivotal role for you? You know, it's interesting. For a long time, I never really felt comfortable speaking about it because um, I'm a heavily flawed human being. I've, a lot of great... A lot of things I've done in this world I'm not proud of, and 
you know, I've never felt like I could get up there and like give my testimony. Like I never had this epiphany where it's like Saul to Paul, where like all of a sudden change this great man and you never sin again. Like that's, that's how people feel like, hey, this is, it's not the way it works. I, there are temptations that, and things that I will battle with every day. Everybody has their own battle. Every, every person has their own struggle and vices. And like becoming a Christian doesn't make those things disappear. It doesn't make them go away. And so like a little background. And, you know, to start off, and it's amazing how like, things just kind of hit you. And, you know, I never even really used to listen to like a lot of worship music until probably five years ago. And now... You know, 104.9 The River is a station in Columbus that is a Christian station. I listen to it all the time. I work out to Christian, Christian music. I still listen to other stuff sometimes, but, like, every day that's what I work out to at 4.15 before my radio show. And it's, like, time to a little, ori- like, to reorient my life and center it up. And it just the lyrics, you know, hit me during the second service here, the opening line. Like, I, I'd, I'd searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. In the reality of that and how powerful that statement is, and as I kind of talk about my family and everything, it'll come in, and it's a big part of it because I've got to do a lot of awesome things in this world and been very, very blessed. It's, it's fleeting fulfillment, um, and it's something that, you know, it's great at the time, but, like, when you're done with anything, you're gonna, it's going to leave you empty inside. And, and so I told this story at the beginning a little bit about my dad. Um, you know, both my parents grew up in, you know, Christian households. And my, my mom's family helped start the church that we went to and belong. My grandma lived with us after my grandfather passed. And you know, she had a Bible verse for everything. She was totally locked in. I mean, it was amazing. Like she, she was very, very strong. My dad would come to church with us a decent amount. He grew up going to church. And, but he would come probably, I'd say, 20, 25% of the time. And... You know, and he was, well, not that he wasn't a believer, but he's like, I didn't, I didn't like structure religion. And, you know, he's like, I don't, I didn't need that. And, you know, he would pray and he was faith-based. He was our football coach. And, I mean, he was far more aggressive probably than our administration would have liked with him talking about faith and praying together with the team. I mean, it's amazing they put that rule in, like, where you're not really supposed to have, like, led prayer, I guess, with your, you know, teachers, administrators, coaches, and he would always lead it. Like, and I don't think he cared. And, uh, you know, it's just like, hey, what are they going to do, fire me? Like, that's fine. Like, we've got bigger problems in this world. So, you know, he, but he, so he was always a believer, and I, I forgot to finish it up. Like, so my mom would always take us, and he would come here and there, and then it was unbelievable. Like, when my brothers and I were all grown, he started, we grew to a very traditional Lutheran church, and he was meeting with our pastor, unbeknownst to my mom, to like fully become a member of the church and go through, you know, all the, the whole process of doing that, like my brothers and I had all done through our confirmation and our classes. And, you know, and it was unbelievable. Like in the mid-50s like did this, and my mom, she was blown away when it happened. And uh, now he goes to church with her every Sunday, and it's fantastic. And so to see that happen where she used to, nag him about it all the time and then to watch like the Lord work with her and work with him like when she finally stopped <laughs> that's ultimately when like it all kind of worked out and so like I try to look at that in my life like how all that went and I'm mean, be fully honest with you like I wish I would have been more plugged in in college like I met we had Bible study and you know I would meet with our 
have chapel. And Jim Trestle was a huge part of that too, you know, going there. And I didn't realize it at the time. Like a coach who cared about your development as a whole person. You want to make sure you're a good person, good human, good player, obviously, but you're, you know, involved in the academics, community outreach, asking questions about your spiritual life and faith-based and what, like, we had to fill out these goal sheets where talking about, like, long-term spiritual goals. Like, I'm 20 years old, what does that even mean, a long-term spiritual goal? Like, and he would, we'd have to meet with him on this, and then he would ask, like, follow-up questions. And the goals, by the way, all had to be specific and measurable. So being a better person did not qualify as like one of your goals. Like, how do you measure that? Oh, I don't know, coach. Go to church 50 out of 52 Sundays. I don't like, I'm trying to like, he's like, that's like the stuff he, he's like, hey, what are we going to do? How are we going get, to get there? And so that was a big part of it. But I wasn't as plugged in as I probably should have been. It's like, hey, I'm a believer. I'm good. But like, hey, I'm out in college. I'm playing football, trying to go to class. You know, chasing girls, probably being not as good a human as I should have been. And like, that's the reality. Young men, you're being here, like the temptation of that and understanding what goes through, you know, young men's minds. I get it. I was there. Every man in this room was there or will be there at some point and trying to figure out, you know, how you navigate this world. And it's like, all right, I'm probably not doing the things that I should be, but, eh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer and I feel pretty good about it. And, you know, where I'm at, unbeknownst to me, I'm like, I'm failing miserably, but, you know, it had that influence in life, and, you know, as, as I've kind of walked through this, you know, I've married, and, and by the way, I have an 11-year-old girl, as I mentioned, so, like, i fully aware now and cognizant, like, more than ever before of, like, hey, what it means to be hopefully a good man, hopefully a good role model, but, I mean, I've had struggles in my marriage. My wife and I have had, you know, big issues, most of them all caused by myself, like, and people think like, hey, becoming a Christian, like that absolves you from any pain and heartache in this world. And you're ultimately going to be a great person. Like that's, it's not it. It's not it. Like you're still going to have a lot of these issues. Christ is only there to help you and to walk you through them and to help orient your life and to understand like search the world, but it couldn't fill me. Search the world forever. Another thing my dad had told me when I was young, he's like, hey, don't ever get caught up. Like, having money is great. Working hard is great. Being successful is fantastic. Those are all biblical principles. Working hard and trying to be the very best with the, the blessings that God has given to you. Don't waste those because then that is just, you know, that's a smack in the face to the blessings that he's given. But it's like if you try to have the quest, he's like, you'll get in the NFL and these, this endless pursuit of cash. Like, no, there is never enough that will make you feel comfortable. And so don't ever think that that's the reality. It's, well, I get to hear I'll get to there, and I'll get to here, like, and it'll, it'll always be an endless pursuit. It will never fail you. It will never fail you. And so understanding that, you know, through some of the, the trials and tribulations that I've had in my marriage and different things, like personal stuff over the last, you know, six, seven, eight years, because marriage is hard. Young men, young women, I'm telling you, like, anybody will tell you, it's not easy, okay? You get married, it's like, oh, awesome, we're married now. It's awesome. Like, I'm never going to have any issues. We're never going to have a fight, you know? I mean, there's never going to be anything that arises. That's not the reality. I mean, there will be temptations. There will be lusts and thoughts in your mind. There's always going to be stuff. And so I talk, surrounding yourself with good people, other faith-based people. And through one of the, the real rough times with my wife and I, it was probably six, five, six years ago, where I really began to kind of lean in on, on faith more than ever before. It's like one of my good friends, you know, Two of my best friends in life, A.J. Hawk and Anthony Schlegel, awesome human beings. 
And Anthony is one of the most grounded, faith-based. He's an ear to listen. He's always, he's always has a word for you. And oh, it'll challenge you too, which is what you need to be able to challenge your friends when you feel like they're not in the right place. And so as I'm going through this, like, I need to, I need to connect with God on a deeper level. I need to connect with Christ. And it's like, you know, he read the Bible all the time. Like, you know, I'd, I'd read it here and there. We do Bible studies, but never something that was committing. You know, like, hey, having goals, like, hey, this is a part of my life that I want to grow. I'm going to have to work at it. You have to work at your marriage. You have to work at any relationship that's important. You have to work at anything in life that matters if you want it to be good. And when you're going to have some change moments, like change implies confrontation. It implies disruption. It's going to be uncomfortable, and it's going to be difficult sometimes. But, you know, you kind of leaned in on me and like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll start with the book of James. We start just reading stuff and talking about it. And one of the verses, like, everybody's got their favorite stuff. And he's like, there'll be things that'll speak to you that, you know, you'll get more out of it. And you'll have a connection there that maybe no one else did. And it was James 4.8. And, and it's kind of the thing that I've always leaned by because as I've drifted and if anybody tells you that, like, every day you're 100% turned on and empowered by God is lying to you as well. Like, our pastor at Rock City in Columbus, he's like, I wish I could sit here and tell you that every day I wake up and I'm living a sin-free life. It's not happening. It's done one time. He's like, and it's not happening again, okay, especially by me or anybody. So you have to understand that. But James 4, 8 is, you know, depending on the translation or whatever, like, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Come to me and I will come to you. Like, you got to work. God's there to help you. But thinking like, hey, um, they got to pray for some things. Like, why aren't you delivering me what, you, what I've asked for? Because it's always a relationship, the child-parent relationship. Kids are always asking for things. We're always asking God for stuff. Third and eight, we're going to be asking for first downs tonight for Cincinnati. Like, you're going to be putting that in there. Like, and those aren't bad prayers. They're asking for anything. Huge prayers, huge ass. But you have to have the relationship, the connection. And that's what, help, that's what will help to walk because it's not easy. And so at times in my life when I felt like I've drifted, it's like, hey, what am I doing to reach out to God? Hey, Lord, just save me. Throw me life rafts and pull me in. Well, they're there. You just got to grab them sometimes. And grabbing them, is, it's the prayer. It's the connection. And so like going through my life, getting a chance to you know, meet some guys like John Kitna who came to Dallas. And it was, he did have like kind of a, a Saul to Paul epiphany in life where it's like, I didn't even know anything about God. I just knew it's like I got in some trouble with his girlfriend, who's his wife now, and she would kind of had a spiritual background and a faith-based background, and he's like, I just dove into it, and all of a sudden, he's like a transformed human. He's like, I was completely different. And he's like, not to say they don't have any troubles and any issues in life, and so I think that's something that, you know, as you're going through this and you're young and understanding, like, I wish there were things I had done, have done differently in my life. I'd like to think I don't regret anything, because that's ultimately led me to where I'm at, and you know, all the, the experiences that I've had, their growth opportunities, but, you know, drawing into the Lord and understanding, like, that's where the fulfillment, I've searched the world, but it couldn't fill me, and just, it, it resonated on an unbelievable level, and I feel like I cheated the first service, because I didn't, that didn't hit, it didn't hit at the time, and uh, just listening and understanding all of that, and having the people that invest into you, and meeting um, one of our pastors, senior pastors at our church, has been awesome, and like, People consider, like, Christianity as, like, weakness and, like, oh, you're soft. You're no, there's not anything about it. Like, it's awesome. I saw one of this, uh, the deals that you were talking about earlier, David. Being, you know, David's the warrior king. Like, I loved when I was going through and reading, reading through Samuel and reading through Kings and talking about, you know, David, who is the warrior king, expanding God's kingdom and all of the power and the blessings that he was given. 
And ultimately, he screwed up some stuff now, too. And so, like, you're looking at some of the most iconic people in the Bible, people that are the LeBron James, the Michael Jordan, whoever it is, who are also all highly flawed, by the way, all humans are. But the things that they, like, you put David right in the same category with that. Like, this dude is highly blessed. Why would you not just take the blessings that God give you, said thank you, and just do what he says? It's not how we work. It's not how we work. And so you're going to fail. You're going to have flaws. You know, but understanding, like, continuing to reach in and lean into that and lean into God instead of when you're young and broke my leg in high school, it's like, God, why did you do this to me? Why did this happen to me? Me, 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 me. Why did these bad things happen? Well, it, it, hey, hey, listen, Bob, I, I got a better plan than you know right now, and you, you're, you're plugged into the matrix, so you can't see everything that I'm seeing up here and, like, what is ultimately going to happen and how this is going to work and how these events are going to impact your life. And so, like, that's the long answer to the faith journey that I'm on that is on a roller coaster each and every day and trying to always figure it out. And it's not easy. It's not, it's, there's nothing, like, unbelievably phenomenal about it other than that it's mine and that, you know what, everybody has their own. And it's going to be unique to each and every person. And so it's, you know, understanding the moment, like, hey, the relationships. It's all life's all about relationships. Connect yourself with good people who are going to be pouring into you. And I mentioned our one pastor, executive pastor. You know, he's a guy who's strong. He lifts weights, and so we kind of connect. We lift weights and talk about God. It's awesome, great thing. Schlegel is the same way, but he's like, hey, one of the great things I've had in life as you get older, he's like, find three people that you can invest in and kind of mentor and help out. Find three people that can invest in you. When you're young, it's easy to find people on the top stream. When you're older, it's hard to find people that are older than you that will invest downstream into you. But that's those relationships and that mentoring aspect and all of that through faith is something that will help build quality men that can be a, a wonderful husband and a great part of this, a great part of the community and like the fabric of what Christianity is all about with the family and the faith and a leader in the church and at home. Like it's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of responsibility. And, you know, God talks for men to be leaders and to be able to do that stuff. Well, you know what? There's a great responsibility that comes with that to your wife, to your children, and all of those things. And my wife challenges me and I'm glad she does. You know, and that's, that's a part of it of her trying to, you know, her element to keep me in line to where I need to be. And there's friction there, and it's good. Um, it's not easy, but that's what the Lord calls us to do. It's real, because that's what we are around here, that we're all in this journey, um, and that Christ is the only thing, like you said, that can fulfill us. I love that you talked about relationship, that it's all about a relationship. It's not about religion or rules or stained glass windows, but it's about a relationship with Christ because that's the only thing that can transform us. I told you I'd, I'd give you a chance to answer, ask some questions. And so we have a few minutes left, about five minutes or so. So does anyone have any questions that they would like to ask the Vikings fan over here? <laughs> so who do you call first, the guy that lost or the guy that won? Because you did both. That's a great question. <laughs> I mean, oh my. I, you know what? I'd like to give a cooling off period for both. I'd probably call the guy that lost. Um, you know, celebration, it's, it's, it's easy in life to celebrate with your friends and their successes. 
it's sometimes probably a little harder to, to, to talk through the, the, the failures and some that are on such a big stage. And so that's probably, probably make the call to whoever it is, the loss first to try to make sure they're in a good spot and, you know, talk it through with them a little bit and then, you know, call the, my friend, whoever it is, whether it's Joe or Matt or whoever. And I know a lot of those guys on Cincinnati, there's a lot of high State guys there, you know, to kind of celebrate with them as well. You can just talk loud. I'll repeat the question. So I'll start off by saying I'm glad my wife's not in here because I'm going to give her a compliment and I want her head to be able to fit in the door on the way out. Um, so my wife got her PhD at Ohio State while working in the athletic department and she wrote her dissertation on athletic identity and after sports. And so you know, I worked in college athletics and you know I want you to you know, give some advice to younger athletes that, you know, how to leverage faith um, so that their identity isn't grounded in that sport. I think a lot of them, you know, after sports are over, are kind of lost. And so, you know, use your journey for that and, and give them some advice. So it's, it's a really big thing that's talked about a lot and in, in Christian circles. Obviously, your identity should be in Christ. And... The problem is when you get so much fame and applause, and now we live in a social media era where, I mean, just it, it, it's really hard to be a Christ-centered person. It's incredibly difficult. Like our, everything that's set up in society is set up to work against that now. Like that's real. And you need to understand that. And if you're not, like it's, you're lying to yourself about it. Like we have tried to glorify the human being to the point where like you're deified, which Everyone in here is highly flawed, and I'm leading the, leading the bandwagon with that. Okay, so we'd have these conversations, and I was like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I got it. Like, I play football. I'm not a football player. And you, you can say those things, but it's still hard for everybody to decouple when you receive, like, the praises of man all the time. And first of all, someone was, one of my coaches told me, he's like, a pat on the back is six inches away from a smack in the face. So remember that. <laughs> and that, you laugh at that, but that's true. And, and, but when you hear it all the time, and like someone asked a question, I was speaking in high school, like, you know, what's it like to be famous? I'm like, I, first of all, it's not accurate. But second of all, it's like fame isn't real. It's simply a thought that human beings have about other people. It's fleeting as, as the morning dew. And your identity with that, it'll be gone. And I, I, I was at Ohio State, and after the games, we'd sign autographs. And by the, you're starting to play more, play more. And, and now they've kind of curtailed it. But my last game, I signed autographs for probably an hour and a half. My mom, AJ, and I were out there. We're trying to go to dinner with our families. And whenever my dad always had a great point, he goes, there'll be a day where no one will care. He's like, that's the reality for everybody. He goes, I don't care you know, whether you're Joe Montana. He's like, yeah, people still see him, but it's not like it was. Like, everything... Men, it, you, you are lost. You will be forgotten. And so having, understanding that, understanding that like being a Christian first and foremost, that all the blessings that you ultimately have too, and this is something else, the, the gifts that I've been blessed with, like gifts that everybody, those, those are gifts from the Lord. Do the best you can with them. Make the most of them. Grow them all that you can, but understand where they are rooted and where they came from. But it's hard when you detach from that. And ultimately when you go on in the athletic identity element and and it, to me, it wasn't even, maybe it was identity a little bit, but it's, it's even as much as like the routine and the team element. And that's, you know, it's a military thing too, where guys, when people get out of the military, it's hard. 
where you have an infrastructure and an ecosystem that's built around you that you're existing in and then that's gone. It's like, well, how do I now exist in society in a normal way? And it's, it's very difficult. And I, you know, I struggled with that, just lack of purpose. Like, okay, I, and that was because God wasn't in the center of my life. God was in my life. And it's hard to keep the bullseye on there because we have ADD as humans. And like, he's there. And it's like, oh, then there's this. Oh, we'll pull it back. And we drift away again. Pull it back. And it's like constantly trying to pull back. And it's not easy. And so that's sort of my struggle as I was getting out of the NFL. And like, it's not that I needed the NFL. I just needed like for the like the the fame of what it was, I just needed that identity, not identity, routine, structure of competing and working at something, and now I'm just out there floating on my own. And so that's hard, like working through that, and whether you're done with high school, whether you're done in college, you know, sports is that for a lot of people. And so like I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Like finally realizing like, hey, the community I have is the community of Christ and all the connections that I have, which is a bigger team than I'll ever be on at any other point in my life. But you, it, it, I didn't realize that in the time, and it took me till I was probably in my early 30s to fully realize and understand that. Great question, great answer. Um, one more question, and then uh, he'll be up here uh, afterwards um, if you have some stuff to sign, but he'll, he'll talk with you too. Um, you talked about the different things you've regretted throughout your life. How would you rank the decision to rock long hair? Uh. <laughs> okay, that's good. We had a long hair question earlier. I thought you were. Top three. You know, I thought that's where we were going. I'm like, we would end. We would end the service now. Um, oh my God. Now, here, the funny thing is, um, well, you got. He knows this. That's how we wrapped up first service. Is the hair question, and so I love it. So it's a good one to end on. But it's I thought a great it was question, gonna, Michael. Thought it was going to be like your top five regrets. I'm like, you guys will boo me off the stage. Like, I mean. If I put the top five things that I've done that I've been embarrassed and could take back in this world, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a rough list, let's say that. Uh, the hair, I enjoyed, the, the long story on the hair is the long story on the long hair. Um, Pat Tillman, uh, who, was, who played at Arizona State, played for the Cardinals, then decided ultimately to walk away from the NFL and serve our country. You know, he was killed in action in Afghanistan, I believe. Uh, yes, Afghanistan. Um, it was, I believe, like 2003 or four, and he had sweet long hair, and like before he joined the military. And so AJ, Anthony Schlegel, and I, Hawk, we're all like, hey, we're going to grow this as a tribute to him. And so we did that for the next couple years, and then we just kind of kept it through the NFL. Most of us, Schlegel's got his cut first, and then AJ cut his. I kept mine through my whole career. I got a cut on the Buckeye Cruise the February after my final season up there, and so when I met my wife, I had hair about like this. The last real haircut I got was about two weeks into our relationship, and then she had to experience that. She was not a fan of it. She didn't like it. She stuck with me through all of it. My mom hated it, and so that was like my tribute to her. I'm like, all right, I cut it. I'm done. I will never do this again. It was like the great flood. You don't need to worry about it. It will be too much work, and hopefully I'll have hair long enough to even be long, enough hair to be able to grow it long. But um, it was good at the time. I liked it when you're young, but as I said this morning, eventually Peter Pan has to leave Neverland and had to cut the hair off and eventually grow up. <laughs> All right. Um, like I said, he'll he'll be able to hang around for a little bit. I know he's going to hit the road probably, but um, if you, I know some of you maybe brought some of the things. I know the kids want to you know, get a chance to talk to him and that. Um, 
powerful. Thank you for coming. Thank you Thanks for, for joining us today. Yeah. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.